Well, good morning, church. It's always good to be together, and it's especially good for us uh, as we're together to, to gather around the throne of grace with confidence. I'd like to begin our, our time around the word uh, with, with prayer, so if you would bow with me, please. God, we thank you so much for this time that we have as your people to sing, to pray, uh, to, to gather around your table in spirit and in truth. We thank you so much for your word and the ways that it helps us encounter you, the ways that it often helps us hear your voice. And so we pray this morning, God, that that's exactly what you will do, that you will help us, each one of us, through your Holy Spirit, hear exactly what you want us to hear. And God, give us the strength to not only listen, but to live out your calling, your invitation to be your people. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Ask anyone. It, it's not easy to see God. As a, a minister of the gospel, I, I wish I could tell you something different. I wish I could give you straightforward, foolproof instructions of exactly where to go at what time. You know, I wish I could, could tell you that at 6.30 on Tuesday evening on this edge of town, you're sure to run into God, that you're, you're going to witness the Almighty pass by. But, but ask anyone. It's not easy to see God. And yet, whether we've realized it before or not, all of us at, at some time or another, we have caught glimpses, we've We've caught glances, we've heard whispers of God's voice. And, and those glimpses, those glances, those whispers, they, they matter. They, for people of faith, they give us the, the strength and, and the structure to, to kind of know what kind of journey of, of faith we're on. They, they give us the confidence that, that maybe we're headed in the right direction. And yet, there's, there's a part of us, I think if we're honest... As thankful as we can be for those experiences, those encounters, those glimpses, and those glances, and those whispers, we want more than that, don't we? I mean, we, we want more than just a glimpse of God. We want to be able to see God, to, to behold, to witness, to, to gaze in amazement. We, we want to be able to, to hear God's voice, not just speaking in general, but speaking to us. We don't just want kind of whispers that feel like it's on the wind and it's just a few phrases here and there. We want more of the kinds of encounters that all of us have had at one time or another. We, we want those encounters to last longer. You know, when we think about what it's like to hear God's voice, we we don't just want to hear it. We want to experience it. We want to have that voice, not just speaking in a way we can hear, but in a way that we feel. We want that voice to have size and scope to it, right? To be broad and long and high and deep. And we want to have that sense that, that God wants us to hear him say our names. But ask anyone. That's not easy. It's, it's not easy to see God the way we long to see God. And yet this morning, together, we're going to open up a part of the story of Scripture in Exodus chapter 3 where someone gets not just this glimpse or a glance, but they really get to see God. 
And it's not just a, a short whisper or a few phrases. There's this conversation that takes place. And we're going to, to read about that encounter now. So if you've got your Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 3. We'll start reading together uh, in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? And when the, the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Because that's exactly what's happening. And he realizes it and he starts to think, wait, wait a minute, this, this isn't normally how this works. Now, the last time we checked in on Moses, he was just an infant. He was in this little basket, a little ark that his mother had made for him because she was having to hide him. Pharaoh, in his frustration and fear of, of just how fast God's people, the Israelites, were growing in number, had made it illegal to be a brand new Hebrew baby boy and to be alive, right? There was this death sentence for all Hebrew baby boys. And so she, she had hidden Moses as well as she could for three months, and she gets to the place she can't do it anymore, so she's going to have to entrust him to God. So she places Moses in this little basket, and it finds a resting place in the reeds along the, the bank of the Nile River, and it's discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, who knows very well her father's uh, national edict of, what you're supposed to do if you come across a brand new Hebrew baby boy and she decides that she knows better than her daddy does what she's going to do. And she resists that decision. She makes a choice of her own and she not only cares about Moses the moment she sees him and realizes he's a little Hebrew baby boy, but she adopts him. She, she brings him into the royal family. And he grows up and it had to be a, a really challenging way to grow up, to, to know at some level that, that he had had a life that none of the other people who he belonged to, they, they were never going to have a chance to, to experience what Moses experiences as, as someone who gets to live in the royal household. And it, it creates this tension in him, this anger, this frustration of how unfair it is. And as he gets older, he gets overwhelmed at one point with the anger of, of all of that. And he acts out violently. And one of the Egyptian guards loses his life because of Moses, and so he runs. He runs into the wilderness of, of Midian. He gets there. He, he runs into a guy named Jethro, who's a priest. He, he spends time with Jethro and his family. He ends up meeting and falling in love with one of Jethro's daughters, Zipporah. They get married. She has a son named Gershom. All of this has taken place since we last checked in on Moses. It's a lot. And he's getting to this point in his life where he's 
He's trying to take care of himself, and he's trying to provide for his wife and his child, and so he's working. And that's, that's where this story in Exodus 3 really starts to take off. It's right in the middle of Moses' workday. And, and you know he's got to be working hard because driving flocks and herds across a wilderness wasteland is not for the faint of heart. I mean, it's hot and dusty, and he's got to be thirsty and exhausted. And he scans the horizon, and he notices there's this fire on a nearby mountain. And he's wondering what's going on. I mean, first of all, it means somebody's there. Second of all, they've started burning a fire in the heat of the day, which is kind of a strange thing to do. So he's, he's got questions, and he starts to go over to find out what is really taking place. Now, he doesn't have a clue what is about to happen, but because we're listening to the, the storyteller of Exodus, we're, we're kind of let in on that secret, right? We know what's about to happen. Without any real sense of what's going to take place, Moses, in the middle of his everyday regular, ordinary life is going to encounter the God who created the universe. Right in the middle of his mundane, tiring, boring work day, he's going to turn a corner and he's going to run into the Lord of heaven and earth. And that's when it hits us. Right? We have a God who shows up in unpredictable moments. And that's not just true for Moses, it's true for, for all of us. Moses isn't on his way to church here He's, he's on his way uh, in the, the task of work. He's trying to figure out what's going on and if there's a threat to, to the herds and the flocks and, and the family, all that, right? He's, he has no sense that he's about to encounter God in this moment, and yet that's exactly what happened. He's not kneeling to pray. If he's knelt at all that day, it's to help some lamb or goat who's lost its way, you know, try to free their hoof out of some, some rocks or some boulders or whatever. He's, he's not expecting anything to happen. When God happens. And you know, I, I think you and I, in our lives, we have these moments, just like Moses, where we're, we're shocked into to the, the sense, the truth, that we know but we forget, right? We're shocked into remembering that God is always with us. We just don't always pay attention to the fact that God is with us. You know, I mean, we have these times of worship in our lives where we look for God and we listen for God and we, we're ready for it. And so that's when we encounter God. You know, when we're singing, when we're at church, when we're praying, when we're opening up our Bible for, for some kind of devotional reading, right? We have this encounter with God because we're ready for it. And yet we have a God who's trying to wake us up to the truth that that he's always there. He's always with us. We just have to have our hearts open to the possibility. And yet, regardless in my life of, of how I have, have tried to grow in my ability to keep the eyes of my heart open to see God, even when I'm, I'm not really expecting it, I find that time and again, God manages to surprise me. You know, I, I think back, this was years ago now, it was when, when Lauren and I first got married. We got to this place where she just desperately needed a, a, a new job. The place she was working, it just it wasn't really working out. And like a lot of people in the first year of marriage, like we were watching our money closely. And so when she got to the place where she was unhappy where she was working, and it, it didn't, we didn't know how long she'd be able to stay there or whatever, she started diligently looking for a new job. And it was not easy 
Got an accounting degree from ACU. We thought, okay, she just sends out some resumes and some letters and, you know, she'll have a job before you know it. And it just felt like the search kind of went on and on and we were getting more and more anxious about it. And I remember praying about it and, and there was a part of me that was asking God to help Lauren find that job that we, we both wanted her to have, a, a place where she would, would enjoy working and a place where she, she felt like she was, was doing something that, that gave her a sense of purpose and, and, and all of the stuff that you hope for when you're looking for a new job. And I was praying about it, but there was this part of me that was hedging my bet in those prayers because I was afraid that it was going to take even longer than I was, was fearing and that maybe it wouldn't work out. And I was, I was deciding ahead of time for God to disappoint me while I was praying. Have you ever been in that place of, of just wanting to give something over to God, but you just can't quite do it. And so we kept praying and, and hoping, but I kept trying to guard my heart against my hope being disappointed. And then finally, Lauren came across this guy who was looking for someone to hire and had an interview and it seemed to go really well. Well, that was on a Tuesday. And he told her it was going to take him until Friday because he was going to have to talk to other people for him to make his decision. Those days between Tuesday and Friday were long, just excruciating days of waiting to hear what was going to happen. And we get to lunchtime on Friday, and we're at this restaurant together, and we're not even really talking because we're both sick with anxiety and anticipation. And finally, Lauren says to me, you know what, I'm just going to call. I can't wait anymore. So she got her cell phone out. She goes out front, and she she calls this guy. She comes back, and just a few minutes later, with a smile on her face, she got the job. I wasn't at church. I was at Chili's. I, I wasn't expecting to encounter God in that place and in that moment. But that's exactly what happened. I mean, that, that memory is clear to me all these years later because it was a moment when we needed God's help. We were begging for God to open up a, a door of opportunity. And that's exactly what happened. And so there was this moment when I wasn't really looking for it, but suddenly I witnessed God's faithfulness to us. I witnessed God's providential care. And I had this sense that God had been with us, not just in that moment, but every moment leading up to it. And how different would my life be if I was able to see it? Even when... I wasn't ready for it. What if I was able to see it? We have a God who shows up in those unpredictable moments. And we, like Moses, need to have this, this openness to that encounter so that when we have that, that experience with God, we know what's going on. We know who to be thankful to. We know who to be thankful for. It changes us. Well, that's the, the first thing that this conversation teaches us. But let's continue reading in Exodus chapter 3, this time picking up in verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am moved by their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." 
But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. All right, so the first part of this passage shows us this truth that, that God reveals himself to us in these unpredictable moments. But as the conversation continues, we start to learn another truth that's connected to that, and that is that God shows up for unimaginable purposes. Right? God shows up to talk about a future that seems impossible in our present. I mean, when, when we think about what the Israelites are experiencing in Exodus chapter 3, I mean, things couldn't be going worse for them. Right? They, they are now decades, they are generations into slavery in Egypt. And it's not just forced labor, but there have been all of these unjust laws that have been passed. They, they have had to hide their children. I'm sure some of them have lost their children. This is, as you think about a group of people having to suffer, this is the definition of people being held down and taken advantage of, and there's just no way that they can, they can see where, where it's going to be any different. And it's in that moment that God reaches out to Moses to say, you know what? It's time. It's time. And as we listen to the, the conversation that, that God has with with Moses here, it's obvious that because the people have had to wait, it's not just what the Egyptians are doing to them. It's the very real fear that they have that God's not ever really going to intervene. That they're suffering and they're suffering alone. And you've got to think that as they're praying through the years to God about what they're going through, that, that over time it becomes a prayer that's filled with this Sad frustration, this angry disappointment where he, he just hasn't done anything they've asked him to do. And they start to wonder, why do they bother praying anyway? And, and as you read the Psalms, we hear other prayers like this where people who are hurting and they've been hurting and they've been praying eventually say to God, I don't know if you have a vision problem. I don't know if you need to get your eyes checked, but I'm struggling over here and you're not doing anything about it. Right, we know that that's an honest prayer. It's a, it's a faith-filled prayer. Right? Because all of us have times where we've been in a season of struggle. Where things have been bad. And they've been bad for a long time. And they don't seem to be getting any better. And, and we keep turning to God. And we get tired of turning to God because we feel some sense of being ignored. There's a reason God keeps telling Moses... Hey, I've seen this, and I've heard this, and I care about this. He's having to say those things because God's people are, are worried that he's not seeing, and he's not hearing, and that he doesn't care. He says to Moses, you know what? It's time. I've seen. I've heard. I'm here. It's time. Years ago, uh, <laughs> It's funny because you never hear this song on the radio anymore. At least I never do. Uh, it may have something to do with the radio stations I listen to. But 
Years ago, there was this song that was, a, I think it was a pretty big hit because I heard it all the time, especially on the stations my mother listened to. It was Bette Midler. Remember this song she sang, From a Distance? Not One Beneath My Wings. And I'm sure I'm going to get links to these music videos on my face, uh, sorry, on my uh, Facebook later. Don't do that to me, Mike Ricker. Okay, so, uh, it's a song about from a distance, God is watching us, right? And if you, if you remember it at all, it, it's like she's finding comfort in the fact that God watches us from a distance because we look better from a distance. Like the world looks better. You don't see how we're really treating each other, you just see people, you don't see that we're, you know, betraying each other and attacking each other and there's division and hatred. And no, God's not close enough to see all that, she sings. God's watching us from a distance. The world looks better from a distance. Now, that may be comforting at some time or another. You know, I, I guess it is comforting if you feel like your, your life right now is kind of a mess and your view of God is he's a disappointed judge who's looking at you from a microscopic distance and finding fault. But... But I don't want a God who's watching me from a distance. No offense to Bette Midler and the person who wrote the song because I don't think she wrote it. But anyway, right? I don't want that God. I want a God who's watching me the way God says he's watching the Israelites in Exodus chapter 3. And if you look at the language carefully, what you'll see is it's not just that he's seeing and hearing. It's that he's feeling. I am moved by their suffering, he says. Another way to translate that concept from, from Hebrew into our kind of the way we think is, I'm feeling the same pain that they're going through. There is no distance. God is right there. His heart is breaking because their hearts are breaking, and his heart's also breaking because their hearts are breaking, and they share the same heart. He's, he's not just witnessing it, he's going through what they're going through. And how does he respond to that pain and that sorrow and that, that fear that he doesn't care and he's not going to do anything? Well, he says, you know what, get ready because I know that it feels like things have been bad and they're getting worse, but I promise you everything's about to get better. He says, I know that, that my people have gotten to a place where they just can't keep going, that it's unbearable. And I promise you, I'm about to lift that burden. I'm about to lift that pressure. I know that my people can't imagine a world where they're going to be delivered and rescued. And there's all kinds of reasons why that doesn't seem realistic. But I promise you, in spite of all of that, I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to rescue them. He says, I know that there are people who feel like they're, they're slaves to their situations, slaves to sin, slaves to themselves. I know that it feels like they're never going to be set free, but I'm about to set them free. God says, I know what they're going through because I'm going through it with them. The Israelites' lives are caught up in God's life. And he loves them in a way where when they hurt, he hurts. When they suffer, he suffers. And you know, the thing that's amazing about all this is it's not just that, that God's promising to Moses that it's about to happen. He's actually recruiting Moses to be the way he keeps this promise. 
He knows that Moses cares about it. He knows that it's what keeps Moses up at night. He knows that it's, it's driving him crazy, the difference between how the Egyptians get to live and the Hebrews get to live. And he says, you know what? You've wanted me to do something about it. I'm going to do something about it, but I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to do it through you, Moses. And Moses says, well, who am I? I you going to send me? And God says, yeah, that's how this is going to work. Brothers and sisters, when we look at our world, when we look at people's lives and we see the the sorrow and the suffering they're going through and we bring those people to God in prayer, we better be ready for God to answer that prayer through us. But there's more. And we're going to read three final verses in Exodus chapter 3 starting in verse 13. Moses said to God, okay, Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Okay, so we start out, God shows up with, you know, these, in these unpredictable moments, God shows up with these unimaginable purposes. And as we kind of close our our focus on Exodus 3 this morning, we find this truth that, that God shows up with undefinable qualities, which makes it a little challenging, right? Because as Moses is trying to think about how he's going to describe his mission to God's people to deliver them and save them, he wants to have a sense that he's being sent there with God's authority, with God's power. And there's, there's power in God's name. That's, that's the way Moses feels about it, so he wants to know the name. Now, I, I think one of the things that's important is I'm not sure that this part of the conversation would have ever happened unless Moses asks for clarity, right? He's already had this encounter. He's already had a conversation, but he wants to have a better sense of exactly who God is. He wants to see more than he's already seen. He wants to see more clearly than he's able to see. So he asks this question, and God responds to to Moses' question for clarity by trying to help Moses see even more clearly. The reason I think that that it's easy to just kind of skip past this part of the story, brothers and sisters, I think at times when we feel like, I really wish I could see God more, or I could understand God better, or I could hear God's voice more often, I think part of the reason we don't see more and hear more is we're not asking. We're not pursuing. We're not seeking. We're settling. And Moses could have settled, but he continues to ask questions. And God's response to that is to try to help him. Now, having said that, you know, Moses says, give me your name. Give me your title. And God wants to help him understand, so he gives him his name. I I will just say to you, initially, it is not a name that clarifies anything for me. Right? (laughs) Who, who, who sent you? I am who I am. Now, I didn't ask for a sentence. I asked for a name. What's your name? Right? I am. Oh, oh, okay. 
You know, and, and Moses accepts this. And, and I think as we wrestle with it and we, we overhear the conversation, we're thinking through, okay, what are we going to do with this response that God gives to Moses, who's trying to see him more clearly, trying to understand him better? How does this phrase, I am who I am, accomplish that? And, and I think part of what's going on here is that when, when God says to Moses, I am who I am, I, I think what he's trying to get at is, look, Moses, I know what you're asking. You want my title so that if you get into a fix and you need my power and my authority, you're hoping that I'll come when you call me. That's, in that ancient world, knowing the name of a deity meant that you might have the ability to call that, that power and then tell that deity what to do for you, right? So part of what's going on here is not just Moses needing to see God more clearly. He's, he's wanting a little bit of a sense of how he might actually be able to, to control God a little bit. And God resists that. God's not going to have that kind of partnership with Moses. So he says, look, you want a title, but it's not really going to work that way. Because if I give you just a title, it's not going to tell you the whole story. It's not going to be the whole picture. Because God's, God's name is it's like a, a story that's still unfolding. And why would we ever settle for a single title and act like that's going to give us a sense of all of who God is and all that God wants to do? God says, no, there's got to be a freedom here for me to be who I'm going to be. And it's not about me giving you a title so that you feel like you've got a way to define me. You need to experience me, Moses. If you really want to know who I am, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. When God says, I am who I am, I believe that he's first saying to Moses and to us, I am who I was. Several times in this conversation, God claims that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And by referring back to these forefathers in the faith, he's reminding Moses and he's reminding those of us who may have some Old Testament stories rattling around in our brains, right? He's, he's not just telling us a statement, he's telling us a story. And so we start to think quickly about, okay, what did we see God do? What did we hear God say in his interactions with these men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What, what do we learn about God in how he interacts with these believers? Well, if you just do it really quickly in your mind, right? You go back to, okay, how does God interact with Abraham? How, how, does, he, how does he help him see? What does he help him hear? Well, well, time and again, God speaks to Abraham and says, I have this future for you where you're going to be blessed with all these descendants. And then through those descendants, I'm going to bless everybody on the face of the earth. And then we watch as time and again, Abraham says, yeah, I trust you, God. But then he does things that prove he doesn't trust God. And even when Abraham's faithless, God is always faithful. That's who God is. Right? And then we think of Isaac, Abraham's son, who's primarily famous in the Bible for almost getting killed, right? That, that God says to Abraham at one point, okay, you say you trust me. I want to see how far you'll go with this trust. I want you to give your son Isaac back to me. So they end up on this mountain, and Abraham's holding Isaac down. He's got a knife up, and he's going to give his son back to God. And God stops him and says, don't, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do this. 
I know how much you trust me. Don't do this. What do we see when we look at how God treats Isaac? He, he protects him. He, he speaks words of grace and goodness in the darkest moments of, of Isaac's life. He rescues him. And then we think about Jacob, Isaac's son, right? Who's running scared because he's betrayed everyone and he's stolen a bunch of things and he deserves to have somebody probably kill him for it and he knows it. So he's, he's on the run and he ends up one night when he can't really sleep. He manages to fall asleep. I don't know how because he's got a stone for a pillow. But he falls asleep and he, what does he see? He sees these angels going up and down this ladder, this this stairway that is trying, I think, to help him understand how connected heaven and earth are. Right? And what do we hear God say to him? Well, he says, I'll go with you wherever you go. Even though you're running for all the wrong reasons, I'm with you, Jacob, and I'll be with you. So who is our God? As we think about this statement of I am who I was, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it means that our God is a God who chooses us and in choosing us blesses us and in blessing us hopes that we'll bless everyone else on the face of the earth and and comes into the darkest moments of our life, even moments sometimes that we feel like God might be responsible for putting us in, which is exactly what Isaac had to feel, right? And there's these unexpected words of goodness and grace of rescue, When it seems like there's no way out, there's no hope in sight, God shows up and changes everything. And and God speaks words of presence and companionship with us, even if we've managed to get ourselves in a place in our life where we're running from everyone who cares about us. God is with us. That's who our God was. It's who our God is. And what that means, brothers and sisters, is he's not just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Bill Kirkpatrick and Suge Springer and you. I am who I was. But God is also saying, I am who I will be. Because, see, we're back to this idea that Moses wants to kind of control God somehow and decide how God's going to intervene and act. And God says, no, you know who I am. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God who does all those things. I'm the God who helps people see the truth and see grace and goodness. I'm the God who helps them hear the truth and and goodness and grace, right? That's who I've been in the past. And in terms of God's character, you and I need to believe with conviction that the character of God never changes, But the way God interacts with us takes all kinds of ever-changing forms. And so while we know that, that our God is a God of love and patience and peace and hope and healing, we never can predict exactly what form that goodness and that healing and that grace and that love is going to take in our lives. We don't know exactly how it's going to come crashing into our lives. And so God is free to express his character in the way he chooses not the way you and I might demand. Like Moses, right? We can't, this isn't about defining God. This is about experiencing God. And while you and I need to give up trying to control God, we need to trade in trying to control God for simply trying our best to follow God. Because we have a God who always finds new ways to surprise us. 
And brothers and sisters, in our lives, those kinds of surprises, they change everything. They, they change who we are. They change the strength we have to respond what we're, to, to what we're going through. They, they change the situations we find ourselves in. God is free to be who he chooses to be. We don't get to change that. We have to learn to accept it. And so we live our lives in that acceptance. We live our lives with this eager expectation, this heart-sustaining hope, hope that, that with all that we have seen already, we haven't seen anything yet. And with all that we might have heard, it's just the beginning. We have this God, brothers and sisters, who shows up, who shows up in, in unpredictable moments, for unimaginable purposes, with undefinable qualities. He shows up. And so we need to find a way to pay attention, to look, to listen, and to live with this central conviction at the center of who we are, that the best is yet to come. Because our God is far from finished. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I just pray that you have that sense this week of God's presence and God's willingness and desire to change who we are and to change our circumstances in ways that are beyond our ability to to grasp and that we will constantly be finding new ways to relate to God, to be surprised. But in order for that to happen, you and I have to submit to that God. So I pray that we find the courage to do that this week. Let's stand together and sing together now.